Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The beginning of chapter 12 in, in Romans, Paul writes a little word that sometimes we may read over and, uh, and, and kind of jump through it and not think that much about it. But uh, he, he writes a little word, therefore. And if you've been around here very long, you've probably heard me say whenever you're reading the Bible and you read the word, therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Uh, because what that does, it, it directs you to what had just been said. So basically what Paul is doing, <clears throat> he's saying in light of everything that I've said so far in the book of Romans, in light of the fact that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, and, and I know some of you are thinking, man, you've told us, if you listen, I, I want you to remember this stuff. That's why we're doing uh, verse by verse through the book of Romans. We're sinners and we can't save ourselves. We are only saved through faith in Jesus by God's grace as a free gift. God sets us apart to himself, always keeps his promises, a sovereign God. Because of all of those things, we ought to serve him, is the point that Paul is making. And basically, he starts in chapter 12, and he's telling us several things that we need to be to kind of help us be better servants of Christ, better representatives of him. One was to be a living sacrifice. One is to be a Functioning part of the body, everybody's got some kind of task, something they can bring to the table when it comes to ministry within the church. Another is to be a practicing example of love. Another is to be patient when it comes to wanting to seek revenge and justice against people, understanding that's not our role, that's God's. And what we just finished talking about over a few weeks in chapter 13 was how you and I need to be the best citizens or the best representatives of Christ that we can be and the culture that we live in. And as we get into chapter 14, basically I think Paul is telling us this because he's still dealing with this theme of service that you and I need to be protective of relationships with others. We need to be protective of relationships with other believers. And, and here's why. Once again, remember the whole theme is service. And tragically what happens if believers start being negative toward each other, judging each other, despising each other, being critical of each other, what happens is this. Christian testimonies are harmed and the influence and the impact of a church's ministry can be destroyed. So he's pretty much writing to these believers in Rome, and, he, and he's letting them know you need to be very cautious, especially when it comes to maybe questionable things, you know? Things that's not worth arguing about, things that, that's not worth debating. You need to be very careful and not destroy the relationship with other believers, because by doing so, you can destroy the effectiveness of the church ministry itself. Now, now, having said that, please understand something. I'm not talking about guarding fellowship at the expense of doctrine. I'm not talking about being willing to go with the flow on everything that's under the sun just in order to maintain fellowship among believers. Because really, in this passage of Scripture, you need to bear in mind maybe this concept Essentials and non-essentials. There, there are things that are essential issues. Such as, to, to give you an example of that, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential issue. I will bleed and die for the virgin birth of Jesus. Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ as a free gift. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. It is given through God's grace. That is an essential. I will bleed and die on the altar of grace. But to give you an example of some non-essentials would be things like this. What should a Christian wear? Well, what should a Christian eat or drink? Those types of things. And, and regrettably, what happens is this. 
The majority of the trouble I have ever seen take place between believers or within churches normally has nothing to do with essentials, and it has a lot to do with people quibbling and arguing about things that will not matter one bit in eternity. Won't change anybody's destiny. And and, and it winds up with us building walls instead of building bridges for people to get to Jesus. So that's really what he's writing about in Romans 14. You also need to bear in mind this. He's going to use the phrase weak believers or weak brothers and strong believers or strong brothers. So that also kind of should serve notice to us that everybody's not at the same level. There, There are some believers who are maybe more legalistic, more rule-focused, whatever it is. There are other believers who are set freer in grace. And everyone's not always at the same maturity level. Now, the surprising thing for you in, in that might be this. When Paul here writes about the weaker brothers, the weaker believer, he's alluding to the one that's more legalistic, the one that is more rule-based. And you see, that flies in the face of what normally happens in the idea of church and ministry and everything like that, because normally it's the people that are really, really legalistic and really, really rule-based, they're the ones that think they're the most mature, but Paul says that's the opposite. And and he's saying it's the ones that are, are freer in grace are really the ones that are more mature, and they're the stronger person. And, and he's letting us know that everyone is not at the at the same level. Now, the background of what Paul is writing about is really this. He's writing to believers in Rome. There are some there who were of a Jewish background. There are some there who, you know, were from a very uh, heathen uh, background as far as worshiping idols and sacrificing idols and everything like that. So there's an abundance of issues and questions that's taking place. Because the Jews had in their background, well, we need to honor these holy days, these special uh, festivals and feasts and everything like that. And uh, the Gentiles had no idea, you know, why you would want to even do that to start with. But some of them had issues because they had grew up in uh, in worshiping idols, thinking, well, now that I'm a believer, I, you know, it's wrong for someone to go and, and buy meat at the marketplace that we know was sacrificed to an idol in the temple, or to go and buy wine or drink wine that had been poured out as, a, as an offering or dedicated as an offering to an idol in the temple. So so they had this background that's taking place. And and that's why Paul is is writing. There there was the potential then and now for as many differences of ideas and disagreements as there are different people that attend the church. You understand that? Because everyone's not at the same level and everyone may not think exactly the same. We need to be focused on serving Jesus. That's essential. But regrettably, we get focused on smaller issues, non-essentials. You ever heard someone say you need to major on the majors and minor on the minors? Regrettably, in the church, a lot of times, we're pretty good at trying to minor on the minors, things that will not change anybody's life, things that will not matter in eternity, things that Jesus will never even bring up himself. Yet we will focus on those types of things. But what we need to do is focus on major issues instead of minor issues. More or less in Romans 14, Paul is calling the Christians there in Rome to have harmony in the diversity of the church. And that's true for us still because, you see, none of us are exactly the same. None of us will have the exact same mentality or exact same idea about everything. That's not even true in your own household. Amen? So how will it be true in a whole church body that everyone will believe exactly the same? And see, we, we need to allow room, and you'll see that as we go through the message today, we need to allow room for some, for some differences. The issues today are different than the issues then, but there's still a lot of issues that if we're not careful, the church will magnify these minimum issues and make it the wrong focus, and in the process, destroy the whole effectiveness of the church. Such as, what version of Bible should you carry? And that's huge for some people. I'll say maybe more about that in a, in a few moments. You know, what's a dress code for church or a, you know, a, a dress code just for your life? 
Is, is it, is it wrong always for a Christian to take a drink of alcohol? Or, or things like, uh, you know, should you, what, what should you, uh, do on Sunday and not do on Sunday? That's huge with a lot of people. Used to be huge with me. I used to be pretty legalistic with that. And then I started thinking, I can't find it saying don't do this on Sunday. A lot of things I should do on Sunday, but I can't find anything the Bible says don't do this on Sunday. Because Sunday's not the Sabbath. You understand that? Or, or things like, is it all right for a Christian to watch a movie? Years ago, when I was uh, going to Bible college, I, I made the mistake. You didn't think it was a mistake, but I, I kind of made the mistake one day as I was going to, to Bible college, and I was riding from the town that I lived in over one county, and several of us uh, pastors would ride together as we were heading for the training. And, and I mentioned on the way that day that I had gone to the movie theater to watch a Billy Graham movie. I mean, it's a Billy Graham movie. Well, um, I saw one of them kind of look a little bit weird. And then about two or three weeks after that, I went to a revival service where another student, not anybody in the car. Now, catch that, no one in the car. So they didn't hear me say it. But it was another student going to the same college, and he was preaching this revival. And when he sees I'm there, he strains to make a direct turn in his message and looks at me and preaches to me for having gone to the movies. And he didn't even hear me say it. So that let me know that people in the car had been talking about, did you know Lynn Parsons went to a movie? It's a Billy Graham movie. It wasn't Chainsaw Massacres. It was a Billy Graham movie. So, but I, I'm just telling you that as an illustration to see how crazy we can be in issues and how those issues are not essentials and how those issues can destroy the effectiveness of church ministry. So, so that's why Paul is writing this because once again, his theme is service. But if we start arguing about everything under the sun, that's a non-essential. It's going to destroy our ability to be the servants that we ought to be. So he's going to give us several important principles. In, uh, in Romans 14, and there are principles that I think we need to ask about five very important questions of ourselves. And this week we will ask the first three questions, and next week, God, God willing, we'll ask the, the last two questions in Romans 14. So here's the first question. Question number one is this. It's a question of conviction. Am I fully convinced is the question that you need to ask. In, in other words, the, the faith-driven practices, the faith-driven or a faith-based behavior that you have in your life, are you fully, fully convinced that it's really a biblical conviction? Or just maybe could it be an opinion that you have? Look, look what he writes in, in these verses, and then we're going to kind of break it all apart. But it says, As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, and the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced. That's where our question comes from. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The reason you do what you do is it because it is a true biblical conviction or maybe it's an opinion. Or maybe you're doing it because of somebody else's conviction and not your own conviction. Or maybe you're doing it so you will look good to somebody else instead of look good to God. Is it really truly a conviction that you have. As Christians, we're not supposed to act out of mere emotion. We're supposed to act and respond out of conviction. Out of what we are convicted in our heart is completely right. So here's why we need to evaluate our convictions. Instead of just seeking an occasion against some other believer by us having an opinion and judging them or condemning them or them us, we need to evaluate our convictions for, for three reasons that we see in the verses that I just read. Here's the first one. We're to welcome them. That's what Paul tells us. We're to welcome the weaker believers, not just argue about opinions. 
He said, as for the one who's weak in the faith, someone that's more legalistic, someone that is more rule-based, someone that we might look at and think, why in the world do you believe those crazy things? You know, we might have the tendency to do. He said, for one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. But it needs to be an authentic welcoming. It's not us inviting them into our liar, so to speak, so we can kind of come out like a spider and get them. Or a lion that's going to pounce on them. We're supposed to honestly be welcoming them, not just so we can quarrel or debate or have arguments with them over some type of theological issue that's not an essential, it's a non-essential thing. He said one person believes he may eat anything and the weak person eats only vegetables. There's a difference of opinion, but don't be debating about it all the time. Be willing to welcome someone else that might believe a little bit differently than you do. Instead of seeking to reject people all the time, and if we're not careful, as churches and as Christians, we'll start giving people the vampire sign. Stay away from me, you know? You're not like I am. But instead of rejecting them, we, we need to be welcoming to them. But like I said, it needs to be authentic. So Someone has said this. This isn't original with me, and you may have heard it before. But someone has, has said this. Opinions are what we hold. Convictions hold us. You see the difference? And opinion is just something that maybe I come up with or I like or it might be a, a man-based rule that I think of based on Scripture or whatever, but it's not you know, necessarily an essential. It's not a live-and-die doctrine of the faith, and yet I've got this opinion about it. So I'm kind of holding that opinion. A true biblical conviction is something that holds me. And we need to evaluate if the behavior that we have in our lives, the decisions that we make, the way we live, if it is based upon a conviction instead of just some type of opinion. Because if everyone would base their behavior upon true biblical convictions, you want to know what would happen? You wouldn't have room for arguing. You wouldn't have arguing take place. You wouldn't have dissension take place. Because everyone based it on what the Bible had to say. On what the Bible really has to say. See, acceptance does this. Acceptance creates room for growth to continue in a church body. Rejection, on the other hand, stunts growth. Acceptance encourages people to serve Christ. Rejection drives people away that could be very good servants of Christ. So we have to be very careful before we start just writing people off based on questionable doctrine, based on things that we don't know for sure, you know? Something that's a non-essential. Another reason why we need to evaluate our convictions is this. We are told by Paul here not to sit in judgment over others. He said, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Don't be sitting there looking down on somebody. Don't be judging somebody. Don't be despising somebody else because of their actions. And here's why he says that. Notice what he says. For, for God has welcomed him. You see, if God has welcomed someone, who am I to shun them? Do you, you understand that principle? And then he, he kind of gives us an illustration to evaluate it. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his master that he stands or falls, and, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. In that day and time, of course, when Paul is writing, people still had servants and slaves and everything like that. The illustration he's using follows these lines. If I were to be walking through the town, and I see someone serving over here doing something that I don't like... Am I to go over to this servant that doesn't belong to me, it belongs to somebody else, and tell the servant over here, I don't like what you're doing. And you see, he would not have to respond to me because I'm not his master. He has to respond to his master. What Paul is saying is this. Jesus is the master. God is the master. Who am I to act like God and try and rule and reign in somebody else's life? I can pray for them. I can correct them lovingly if I see there's some, you know, wrong in their life that they're doing. But I have no right to play God. I have no right to be some kind of demigod over their life. I have no right to come up to them in, in that way. Because I'm not the master. God is their master. And I need to allow God to be their master and let Him control them. It's not up to me to control everybody. It's not up to you to control everybody else. I don't know about you. I've got enough trouble with myself. You? Huh? Don't have time to try and micromanage everybody else's life for them. 
And yet, many times as Christians, we will fall into that trap of trying to do exactly that. The primary reason that we should not sit in judgment on others is simply that God has received both the weaker and the stronger through faith in Christ. So we need to receive each other. The word servant suggests that Christians ought to be busy working for the Lord. Guess what? If I'm busy trying to reach other people for Jesus, if I'm busy doing what God's really calling me to do, I don't have time to investigate somebody else's life and play like the Christian Gestapo and get on the horn in the grapevine and be talking about everybody else under the sun. Because if I'm busy doing what God's called me to do, I don't have time to look at somebody else's life. Guess what? If you would be busy doing what God has called you to do and focus on the essentials of the faith, you would not have time to get busy with the non-essentials and be looking around and judging everybody else for what you think they're doing is wrong if you'd be busy serving God. Does that make sense? You believe that? I do. You know what our problem is? We're too busy looking at everybody else instead of looking at Jesus. We're, we're too busy wanting to find a, a clink in the armor on somebody else instead of understanding we need to be putting on the whole armor of God ourselves and serving Him the way He wants us to serve Him. Number three, we need to be sure that we've got, evaluate our own convictions, be sure their convictions are not just opinions for this reason. He more or less tells us that we need to allow room for differences of opinion concerning non-essentials. Look what he says in verse, verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another. But another person esteems all days alike. And then he says each one should be convinced in, in his own mind. You need to be fully persuaded. If you look at the root word, it, it even gives us this idea, the word that Paul used in the Greek, of a constant accompaniment. It's like you're, you're wrapping yourself up in clothing. You, you need to be fully convinced that the doctrine that you believe, that you're wrapping yourself up in is really biblical doctrine. And, and you need to be fully convinced it's what God wants you to focus on. You need to be fully convinced that's what God is telling you to do in your life as though you are wearing it all the time. That's how fully convinced you need to be. Because everyone is not at the same level, like I said a moment ago. There are people that will have differences of opinion. Can, can I, I hope this will set you free a little bit. It's okay for another Christian in non-essential matters to believe different than you believe. You understand that? It is. I wrestle with that some myself. I'm human. I'll see some people post some things on Facebook every now and then that I know, you know, but it's not an essential, and I'm, I'm trying to restrain myself from telling them what's right. <laughs> And I have to, you know, I have to remind myself that, hey, that's, that's a non-essential. It's not worth arguing about. There's nothing wrong with someone thinking a little bit different in some non-essential area. The thing we need to be sure is that we have an openness, we can talk, and, and we can agree to disagree, and we can love each other even if someone has a little bit difference of opinion. St. Augustine put it like this. And I think it could kind of be a commentary on this whole chapter in the book of Romans. In essentials, the main doctrines of the faith, unity, have to have it. Bleed and die over the virgin birth. Bleed and die over salvation by faith. Have to have unity. That's worth fighting over. In non-essentials, he said, have liberty. Not worth arguing about, not worth fighting about, but he says in both we need to have charity. We need to love each other. Jesus said this, all men will know that you're my disciples. How? By the great big doctrinal theological books that you carry under your arm as you walk around. I think he said they would know it by the way we love each other. That's why we need to be careful and be fully convinced that what we believe is true. That it's based on a biblical conviction and not just an opinion. Because if we're not careful, we'll be arguing about things that will not matter in eternity. And will destroy the effectiveness of the ministry of a church. 
You'll destroy your own testimony by arguing about things that don't matter. Southern Baptist Convention years ago, when all the debate was taking place between the liberals and the conservatives, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I'm on the conservative side. I believe the Bible. That's where I was at. But you know what? When all that debate was taking place and everything like that, all of our conventions and everything, the news media dearly loved to report <laughs> that the liberals and the conservatives in the Southern Baptist Convention were arguing again. And when that happened, lost people all across this world had an extra reason to say, that's why I don't want Jesus God, help us that we would give people reasons to say, that's why I don't want Jesus. Because they see churches and Christians arguing and debating and fighting and gossiping and backbiting each other over things that don't mean a hill of beans in eternity. I get on my soapbox. Number two. Question number two we need to ask. It's a question of purpose. The first question is a question of conviction. Am I really convinced? Am I convicted in my heart that I'm acting like I act because it's a real reason, not just my opinion? The second one is this, a question of purpose. Am I doing this to honor the Lord? The faith-based decisions that I make, the way I live my life is my goal. The reason I'm doing it, is it to honor Jesus? Or maybe it's to honor me. Or maybe it's to please somebody else. Look what he says in verse 6 and 9 through 9. The one who observes the day, and that's talking about like holy days, feast days that the Jews might would have looked at honoring and thinking you should honor. And then, of course, the Gentile believers had no reason to do that, no background in it. The one who observes the day honors or observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We, we need to ask ourselves this question, am I doing what I do? Am I making the behavior in my life, the rules that I follow, is it, is it really to honor God or is something else going on? In those verses, the word Lord is used seven times. That's a lot in that short amount of Scripture. And I think the emphasis that Paul is making is this. God is God and you're not. The, the question is not whether you're doing what I want you to do or whether you're doing or whether I'm doing what you want me to do. The question is, are we doing what God wants us to do? As I already said a moment ago, I, I don't have the right to play God in another Christian's life. Yes, we can pray, we can admonish, we can try and teach, we can give guidance, but I don't have the right to play God in their life. I need to evaluate if my actions are to honor God. But what we tend to do in the church is we want to evaluate if somebody else's actions are honoring God instead of our own actions. To, to illustrate that, there's a story in, in, in John chapter 21. And we'll not read all the scriptures. I'll just kind of give you the story. But you remember Peter uh, told Jesus, I will never deny you. I don't care what the rest of these do, but I won't. But he did three times, right? Now, they've gone back to fishing. He's really kind of discouraged and everything else. Jesus shows up walking on the water. Jesus calls them to the shore. Peter jumps in and, and swims there first. And he gets there and, 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 and Jesus fixes a meal, kind of like uh, fish for breakfast. I, I don't know if I don't want fish for breakfast or not, but I guess if Jesus made it, it'd be okay. I don't know, but that's more or less what he does. And then the silence around the meal is broken, as far as we know, by Jesus saying these first words. He looks at Peter and he says, 
Peter, do you really love me more than these? And like a dagger in his heart. He said yes, and he asked him again, and he asked him again, because he had denied him three times. So he's restoring Peter to ministry. And then Jesus goes on to tell Peter this. He goes on to tell Peter that basically the way Peter's going to die. That he's going to die like Jesus died. The Bible doesn't tell us about that, but tradition tells us that Peter was crucified, and he has to be crucified upside down, because he did not think himself worthy to die like Jesus. When Jesus tells Peter what his future is going to be and everything, you know what Peter does? Peter looks over here and John's sitting off to the side. <laughs> and Peter says, but what about him? It's like he's trying to get the focus off of himself because Jesus just told Peter what he needed to do. And Peter turns and he looks at John and he says, but what about him? We do the same thing, don't we? Trying to get the monkey off of our back. God is talking to us, and we want to divert the attention from ourselves to somebody else, and we'll look at somebody else's life and say, but what about them? But what we need to be doing is saying, what about me? You know what Jesus' response was? Jesus more or less told Peter this, it's none of your business what happens with John. You follow me. That's what he told him. And that's a lesson we need to learn. We need to quit looking at each other and trying to judge each other and trying to use somebody else as an excuse not to do what God's calling us to do. Instead, we need to be focused upon what God is calling us to do, and we need to follow the Lord. We need to ask ourselves this. The reason I do this, is it do, am I doing it to honor God? Is that my motive? Is that my purpose? Or maybe I'm doing it where I can look down on another believer. Or I'm doing it so they'll think good of me. Or I'm doing it because I know somebody else thinks I'm supposed to do it. So that's why I'm doing it. The main point is to honor the Lord. And knowing that we're honoring the Lord is our purpose. That's our main motive. I'll illustrate that with myself for a minute. Um, I became a Christian when I was in the seventh grade. When I trusted Christ as my Savior. Um, didn't mean a whole lot to me through my teenage years and uh, things like that. Uh, along about the time I'm 27 or so, all of a sudden I start getting this really, really renewed awareness of God in my life. And shortly after that, He called me into the ministry. I can't explain to you how I know it. I'm just telling you I know it. I, people ask me all the time, why did you go in the ministry? Here's why I was drafted. I didn't want to go. I was drafted. But I can remember phases that I went through. Some of you have seen me in some of those phases, probably. But I can remember different values and phases that I had. I went through the, the, the legalistic Christian dress code phase not long after I was called to preach. I sinned for a woman to wear pants. Men shouldn't be wearing shorts out in public. All that kind of stuff. Because that's the influence of the people around me, and that's what I was being taught. I remember going through the phase of if you don't use a 1611 King James Bible, you'll go to hell. Went through that phase. Remember going through the phase of seeing who can shout the loudest and wave the Christian flag the biggest in a worship service. And yet, as I was going through those phases and walking in those circles, after a while I started to see things and hear things that I thought to myself, that, that don't sound a lot like Jesus. Preachers preaching in revival services about people going to hell and people almost rejoicing that people's going to hell. I don't think that sounds like Jesus. Pastor being in the pulpit and saying someone had said something about him. They got back to him. He said, I'd like to find out who did that. It seems I could punch him. And everybody saying amen. I, I don't sound too much like Jesus to me. 
And then I came through all of that and got to the point that I, that I really understood how huge grace is. Thank God for grace. I'll be honest with you, I've got a concern that maybe even some of you, but that people sitting in churches all across America may miss heaven because somehow they're still attaching it to what they can do instead of what He has done. But the point I wanted to make is this. In all those phases I went through, at that time, at that moment, I was convinced in my heart that what I was doing and what I believed and how I acted, I was doing it to honor God. And, and I'm kind of like a living illustration of, of that truth in the body of the church because there are people at different levels. There are people that are more rule-based. There are people that are freer in grace. The point is, wherever you are, you need to be sure that you're doing what you do because you know your purpose is to honor God. And if it's any other reason, you're off base. Because there are people that have more rules and people that don't feel like they have as many rules that they need to follow. But we all need to be convinced in our hearts that what we're doing is honoring God. And we have to allow for differences because Paul wrote these words, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. We're connected together. Jesus, he said, is the Lord of the living and the dead both. We are all connected together through Jesus. So whether you're a weaker believer or a stronger believer, we can't afford to write each other off or judge each other or criticize each other or despise each other because we all belong to the same Lord. We're all part of the same body. We're His. We belong to Him. Maybe a good question for us to ask ourselves every now and then is this. Am I treating people as though they also belong to the Lord? Third question we need to ask is this, and I'll try and cover it quickly, but the third question we need to ask is, will it stand the test of the judgment? In other words, would your behavior, the, the rules that you follow, the, the faith-based actions that you have in your life, will it stand the test of the judgment seat. So the question is a question of accountability. We, we will be accountable before God one day. Someone that's a weaker brother that might be more legalistic or more rules-based, they're accountable before God. Someone that's freer in grace, they're accountable before God. What we need to be sure we're asking ourselves is this. Does what we believe and the, and the actions that are perpetuated by what we believe, will that stand the test of the judgment seat? Because the Bible tells us that, that we will stand before God. I, I, I've got some news for you. I'm not your judge. You're not my judge. Look around you at the people that are sitting here, other churches, other denominations, or whatever. You're not their judge. They're not our judge. Jesus is the judge. And, and instead of us wasting time quibbling and, and, and judging each other over things that are questionable matters to begin with, non-essentials to begin with, what we need to do is be evaluating ourselves and ask ourselves if our behavior, if our faith-based practices will stand at the judgment seat. The word for judgment seat is a Greek word, bima. It's referring to the bima judgment. And what that speaks of is in the games that they would have, like the Olympics of that day. Uh, there would be a judge who would be there, and he would watch the games as they took place. And if he saw anybody cheating, that person would be disqualified. And the Bible uses that as an image of the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, I hope you're aware of this, is for believers. There's a great white throne judgment that will be for the lost people, but all of us who are Christians, yes, we believed in Jesus, but we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as we stand there, our sins won't be judged. Thank God they were judged at the cross. Amen? Thank God they were condemned in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. He paid for our sins. But what will be judged that day is the way we've lived our lives, our service to Him, our works. Oh no, that's a little bit scary too to me. Is it you? <laughs> 
But the question we need to be asking is this. Will my behavior, will, will your behavior stand at the judgment seat of Christ? You see, I won't give account for you. You will not give an account for me. We will give an account for each other. And that's why instead of focusing upon judging and condemning each other, we need to evaluate, will our faith-based actions, will the way we are living, will they stand the test at the judgment seat? Or maybe instead of it being a true conviction, I've just been living my life based on opinions of other people. I'll close by just kind of telling a story. Maybe you've heard of Charles Hadley Spurgeon. You've heard of Spurgeon before? Maybe you've heard of uh, Joseph Parker, I think it is. Yep. You ever heard of Joseph Parker? Not as much. Yeah. They were contemporaries of each other. Matter of fact, they were good friends. They were both very effective pastors and well-known evangelists and preachers in that day and time. They even traded pulpits with each other. They did ministry together. And they were, they were known for working together and being great friends. But then one day, Spurgeon, who most of you have heard about before, his ministry and his writings and all, one day Spurgeon accused Joseph Parker of being unspiritual because he went to the theater. And good Christians wouldn't go to the theater. Not even for a Billy Graham movie. Because in that day and time it wasn't a movie theater, you understand that. So that hit the news. And all of a sudden these guys that have been effective in ministry together are arguing with each other. And it hits, you know, the news. They're having a public debate. By, by the way, Charles Spurgeon, I failed to mention this, who was pointing the finger at Joseph Parker, smoked cigars. <laughs> So a lot of people would think, well, he shouldn't be smoking cigars. See, the point I'm making is this. They argued over something that did not mean one thing in eternity. And by doing so, both of them hurt their effectiveness in their ministry before the public. Several years ago, we were at the Southern Baptist Convention in in New Orleans, and you may be thinking, "New Orleans? Why did they go to New Orleans?" Hey, I went to Southern Baptist Convention in Las Vegas before. People really complain, "Why did the Southern Baptist Convention go to Las Vegas?" Well, uh, you know, in New Orleans, you can walk down on the French Quarter and see stuff on the corner you have to pay to see. In Las Vegas, it's free down there in New Orleans. So, you know, people judging people once again about why would you go to this city? Why would you go to that city? But while we were there that year in, uh, in New Orleans, Joel Gregory, who was a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, he had a moral failure in his life later on, but then that was public, so I'm not saying anything that wasn't public, but he, you know, he worked through that and, and everything. But, but man, in that day and time, he, he was, he had the chance to speak the convention message. And he told a story. And the story that he told was this, and it was supposed to be a, a true story, but he said there was this man that owned a lot of lands, had this very nice you know, mansion, kind of like a castle built of stone, and he was going on an extended trip to Europe. And while he was gone, he told his groundskeeper that he wanted him to build this huge wall around the property uh, out of stone, this large stone rock wall. So... Uh, while he's gone, the groundskeeper is working hard at that. The owner comes back months later, rides up, sees this magnificent wall, rides through the gate, and when he gets through the gate, he sees about one-third of his house had been dissembled. <laughs> and the answer the groundskeeper gave was, there was not enough stone to be had in the area. You commanded me to build this huge wall, and I had to tear down part of the house to build the wall. You could have heard a pin drop at that Southern Baptist Convention. Because the message that I wish they had heard, they heard it in the moment, but they didn't carry it home with them. The message that they should have heard is this. We're building this huge wall. This massive looking, wonderful 
theological wall than in the process we're tearing the house down to build it. I don't know if you've ever been to war or not. I never was in the military. I was in law enforcement. I've been in situations that I sure was glad. I had officers on either side of me. But you realize that when you're in a war, everybody that's on your side looks pretty good. Do you realize that? It doesn't matter what their race is. It doesn't matter what their politics might be. It, it, it doesn't matter how much money they have or they don't have. If you're in the middle of a war, everybody to your right and your left, behind and in front of you that's on your side, they're pretty good looking. You're glad they're there. I wish to God that all Christians would figure out in the church that we're all on the same side. We're in a war serving Jesus. Everybody on our side ought to look good to us. Let's pray. Father, God, forgive us <clears throat> when we argue over debatable things, when we argue over questionable things, non-essentials. God, forgive us when we allow music styles or dress styles or Bible versions or whatever it is. God, non-essentials that won't matter one bit in eternity before you. Forgive us when we allow those things to be divisive. Forgive us when we spend more time looking at the life of other believers, trying to inspect their lives and judge them, than we spend looking at ourselves. God, help us to understand that we're all, all believers, all Christians, whether it's a weaker brother or a stronger brother, we're all in your army. We all ought to look great to each other. We all ought to join hands and serve each other. God, help us to be protective of our relationships so we'll not damage the effectiveness that you want us to have as your church is your body. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. It's kind of a type of message. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of was in the first service. I'm kind of sitting here thinking, oh, what kind of invitation do I give? You know. Although I think a great one would be because we have so screwed that up, we probably all ought to just fall on our face and say, "God forgive us," that we have made it about unimportant things, and that there has been so much division many times in the church and in denominations over things that don't matter in eternity. When's the last time you heard of a church having trouble because of an essential doctrine? Well, they have trouble over what kind of carpet to put in, what color paint a Sunday school classroom, da 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 but not things that matter in eternity. Yesterday, as I was doing the memorial service for uh, Russell Perry, I looked up and uh, when I started to speak, and uh, we were just outside of the cookout, and uh, saw someone there I had not seen in a while. It used to be his parents pastor at, at one point and uh, this man's probably middle aged by now I guess but he's blind because of an accident that he had early in his life and uh, anyway I, I used to go see him son back when I was a, uh, his parents pastor and try and encourage him to come he'd come every now and then so I went up to him after the memorial service because I wanted to talk to him for a minute and uh he said he remembered me and wanted to know where the church was and said he might try and come. But then he, he went on to tell me, he said, I, see his dad, I, I failed to mention this, but his, his dad at one time used to be a pastor. 
He said, the, the reason I don't go to church very much is because of my dad being a pastor, I had the chance to see things too close on the inside. And people arguing and politicking and debating and gossiping. So I'm telling you, that's a real life story. There are people out there that won't darken the door of a church because we've screwed it up for them. By our attitudes, by our division, by us making it about things it's not supposed to be about. See, I understand what he's saying. I've been there before and I've always had the fear that things that I have faced would affect my children to where they would want to come to church. So once again, maybe the invitation is this, that all of us need to find a place to pray. Say, God, help us to respond to each other the way we should, to serve you together, even though we might not agree on every little thing, but to serve you together. And if you're someone that doesn't know Christ, you may be someone that's here this morning and you have stood away from Christ for the exact reasons I've talked about because of the way you've seen believers act. If that's where you are, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. But can I tell you something? That's not Jesus. Jesus loved you enough to die for you and He stands with open arms asking you, pleading with you to come. If you've never done that, I invite you to come to Christ now. If you have, I, I'm going to start out right here myself. Maybe, maybe all of us just need to find a place to pray and say, God, help us not to mess it up. <laughs> help us to understand there are weaker brothers and stronger brothers, weaker Christians and stronger Christians. But help us to love each other no matter what. I invite you to stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.